Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. What is going on, citizens? Football Boys here, making sure that you're having a fantastic week, working on the things that are passionate to you and yours, of course. New Amsterdam Radio is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's where I go when I want to see shows or concerts around my town and beyond. Use promo code FLOBITO, that's F-L-O-B-I-T-O, for $20 off your first order. You know, I myself are feeling like the year is filling up already. Yeah, by the time I listen to this, it's not even March yet, but somehow I feel like my schedule has so many things that need to be done. And being able to say that I'll be able to do those things and do this show means the world to me. This week's episode, hanging out with J.V. Hilliard, who is a fantastic fantasy author. And much like last week's episode, I want to talk to you more about what the process is like to create a world from scratch. Because you may not have fantasy stories, especially if you're an author, or a fantasy uh, objective for your artwork, but it's kind of a cool thing to see when you have an idea and you have to build from the beginning. Before I get to the interview, I've got to say newamsterdam.com, kwamsterdam.com, and you can check out the show's socials at newamsterdam on Instagram, and new underscore Amsterdam on that Twitter. Without further ado, my chat with J.V. Hilliard. Welcome back to New Am Sam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Voice, in the mayor's office, hang with people who are doing the thing. And one thing this author couldn't have done is write fantasy. I mean, there's just so many words. I don't know how to describe things. It's just so much work. It's so hard. But my guest makes it look easy. Please welcome the author of The Last Keeper series, J.B. Hilliard. How's it going, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks very much for having me on the program. Appreciate it. Uh, you know what? Thank you for making making the time. But first things first, fantasy is a lot of work. Why? <laughs> why, did, why did that job talk to you, call to you and say, look, I got to be a part of this? Well, sure. So it is a lot of work. And the main reason that it is, is because you're making it up, right? You have to world build every time you speak something. So if I were saying Flobo got in the car and drove down the street, everybody knows what that is. But in my realm, the realm of Warminster, and I describe Flobo leaving his his village is he leaving on a horse? Is he magically flying on a carpet? Is the sky green? <laughs> you have to describe all of that stuff. So you ha- And it has to be consistent, right? So as you world build, you have to find systems that people use. There are economies, um, magic systems, uh, the, the cultural differences, racial differences, all those kind of things as you, as you build it out. And so it, it is a lot of work. And, it's, and when you write epic fantasy, you're not only writing for present day stuff that you're reading, but you're also expecting that there's going to be a future and there's been a long path and it's it's integrating all those historical references which makes it pretty difficult but why i do i do fantasy it's it's a a long story but in 30 seconds or less i picked it up when i was a kid you know i I had a a elementary school teacher go out on a medical and uh, while he was gone my substitute somehow got permission from our principal to read us the hobbit um and and i just fell in love with the genre after that and for that you know, that Christmas, my uncle, um, who was a writer, and he was actually paralyzed in the war. And, um, you know, as a result, I, he was like a second father to me. I, my mother was his nurse, and 
my brother and I lived there for a period while you know he was adjusting to life. And so uh, I, World I, War II I, I, or Desert Storm? Oh no, 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 Vietnam, Vietnam. Vietnam. So like you know, and the and you know, for me, I was a really young child at the time, and and he was a second father, and so not only did I, he bought me my first Hobbit. But he, you know, novel. But he also introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons, which is a very nerdy way of uh, now. Not only am I reading fantasy, I'm playing a game that that's involved in that, and it just took off from there. And that's how I got addicted to it. And one of the things I use is is as my form of escapism. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about me driving away in a car. Like, I, if I'm in a fantasy novel, I want like one of those like ostriches from like joust you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> I'm a giant bird uh but it, it's interesting because like your your said your first fantasy uh, experience is like with like the top shelf like the the classic vintage single malt fantasy you know what i mean usually for us growing up i'm a certain age you watch a cartoon you go oh that's a cool job like mighty max for example that's kind of fantasy and you go i think that's kind of cool and you learn about other things but you went right to tolkien um how did that influence your craft your approach to to your world yeah, well, I think in, in a couple of ways. I mean, Tolkien is sort of the granddaddy of them all. He's the Rose Bowl of of, uh, of fantasy. If it weren't for his Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and much else beyond that, we wouldn't have a fantasy genre. You know, and now today, in today's world, there are, there are, you know, little silos of individual fantasy type realms that you can read. There's epic, which is the, 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 the Tolkien uh, and then there's high fantasy and there's dark fantasy and there's sword and sorcery. And I, I can go on and on and on. Even in this day and age, there are people that write uh, uh, a type of a fantasy called lit RPG, which is literature for role-playing games. And they, they'll yes. play Halo or they'll play Fortnite and they'll write about their experiences and people will read them in the same way they watch them on TV and, and, and things like that. So I think Tolkien really set the stage and the bar and then from there we've seen this kind of proliferate into a variety of different places and so i write traditional epic fantasy with a bit of a dark turn I'm, i've always been like a gothic horror lover and so for me i i've been able to create that sort of mix between the two worlds so those that love the traditional high fantasy stuff are, are they're going to get it in the warminster series and yeah. those that like a little bit of a darker twist more of a mature twist um, kind of like what Game of Thrones has brought to us in the last 10 years, where it's like, hey, we're set, we're not in Middle Earth anymore, we're in Westeros, but, you know, while we're there, you know, we're going to play this out as if it was a realistic fantasy realm. And so it's more adult themed, uh, perhaps, even though I think that kids that are within that, you know, that high young adult, 13, like advanced YA readers would, would enjoy my stuff too. So you make the decision, and I, I'm assuming that you have a day job on top of this, or you write full time. I do. No, no, no. I, I, I own a couple of companies, and so I okay. write on the side as my side hustle. But you know, you're right. I do have several day jobs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's even more critical because when you're an entrepreneur, you're responsible for not only like your your job, but like the creative side of your job, i.e., marketing and design and all that. Like, how do you be able to parcel out time and energy? You're not just writing a, a nice crime story taking place in, in a town nearby. I mean, you're creating the world from scratch. And I guess that's a lot of like mental work. But after doing eight, nine, 12, 13 hours for your jobs, how do you make that transition? Yeah. So, and in, in, I used the word escapism before. And what I found is writing is my form of escapism. As, as my day job, I do a lot of government lobbying. Um, I do uh, defense lobbying and technology lobbying in, in Washington, uh, you know, for you know, the nine to five gig where you're pun it's not a punching the clock thing either. So some days when they're in session, I'm very busy. Other days when they're out of session, I have very little to do. And so, um, you know, writing is something that 
allows me to fill some of those voids. And and really, you know, I'm as someone that's you know more in in the middle age. I you know I started my writing career very late in comparison to some others. And part of that was a result of COVID, right? When the government shut down, I didn't I didn't have work for a year and a half, and there was nowhere to go. So all of my stuff became Zoom based, and you know it, you know it was, a, it was a little different, and I didn't have to travel, and so I used that time to take something off the bucket list, which was write a book, and that book's turned into its own series, and as a result, that's turned into its own business. So yeah, you know yeah. I, I own a few, I mean, and um, my authorship is now one of them. Well, for me, the podcasting thing became the COVID thing for me. Uh, I don't know if you're not sure, but I was a stand-up comedian, and then I was basically forced inside. And so I started to, to ask people their creative endeavors while we were waiting for things to open up. Because there was a time where we thought it was going to be like four weeks, right? Like, oh, six mm-hmm. weeks, we'll talk about it, we'll go back. And that's not the case. So let's talk about the actual the book it released and and before we get into like the entrepreneurship side before we get into like the enterprise and nature of the side what was the immediate reaction because to be fair i feel like people love what they love and then when you introduce something new a new product a new book a new interpretation of way of doing things it couldn't be a hard sell to get people to try your product but was that the case uh yeah i mean you know there are folks out there that are independent authors that are swimming on their own i was lucky enough to find a uh you know a small uh niche publisher in dragon moon press that traditionally published me so i had the advantage of some of their domain expertise and subject matter expertise and their email list which made my introduction into the literary marketplace a little easier uh, than perhaps trying to learn a lot on your own. Now, there's a give and take there. With that, you're splitting royalties. You are, you know, you're, you're limiting in, in in some ways what you can do. You have to seek permission to do them from your publisher. Where indie authors can do whatever they want to do. And when you look at today's marketplace, I mean, I think Amazon is flooded with eighty thousand new pieces of literature work every month, not year, month. And so you're swimming in a massive pool. Uh, of competition. And so you have to stick out somewhere. Stuff has to be unique. And I treat it just like any other business. Like you have to dig in and you mentioned it earlier, you know, you've got to, you've got to market it the right way. You've got to, you know, get yourself the right kind of exposure in there. And I think, you know, ultimately too, your, your books are your products, right? So they've got to be quality. And so I've always spent enough time. I have a handful of beta readers that will read my stuff before it goes to publication to make sure that it's it's up to snuff and I've got some really strong uh, editors, uh, you know, those especially in and around my genre that understand it even better than I do, you know, to, that have been doing this for 20 years, you know, they're steeped in it. They know what people will like and what they don't like. And so what I've done is I've brought, you know, several, I think, strong messages alongside a pretty cool story that, you know, is, you know, creates my own world and my own monsters and my own heroes right. and villains. And I think people will be attracted to those kind of stories. So. That's where I've found success, and the reaction from folks has been flattering. You know, I've I've gotten I I never expected to get like fan art uh, or awesome. requests to write fan fiction and and things like that. Or or when you run into people at you know my nerd conventions that I go to, it's like you know they they uh, they they'll ask you about certain characters and they'll give you advice like please don't kill this character or we want to see more from this character and you, things you'd never expect because they, they might even be minor or tangential. Yeah. in some way and then meanwhile you know people fall in love with them and you know you're like well, well what about the main character <laughs> and like well they get enough airtime. you don't you don't have to do anything with them but they, we want to see more of of this person or that person so 
you know, it's a lot of fun. It's organic and it's like no other business that I've been involved in before. And so I think that's, what's made it fun for me. And I've really enjoyed some of those reactions, getting back to your initial question. I've really enjoyed how it's been received and the reactions from my readership. Don't kill the main character. It's like, oh, we killed him already, and we spent it up to the publisher. So uh, I'll it's happened. It's happened. I'm, Please don't kill this guy. And I'm like, hey, I didn't want to tell him. And I'm like, oh, read book three before you ask for that question. You know? <laughs> so your your beta readers, do they know they're beta readers, or do you surprise so, them? Or okay, I didn't know. Yeah, I'm like, no, oh, no. what the hell? No. So <laughs> what, you know, the idea behind the beta reader is finding someone who is you know versed, well versed. Uh, or you know, woven into your community in some capacity, they can give you an honest opinion on the product you're putting out there. And because I'm writing a, a certain brand of literature, it's important that they also understand that 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 you know that brand of literature as well. So I go out, and most of them are friends, you know, people that I've or other fellow creatives that I've met along the way that I trust their opinion. I've read their stuff; they've read mine, uh, and then they'll they'll be there to poke holes in it, right? And you just have to have a real thick skin. You as a stand-up guy, you've got to have a thick skin too. I'm sure you get heckled all the time. You know, in my business, it's people telling you they didn't like what you did, right? It's the same kind of thing. You're on stage. I might be on a podcast like this, or you know, it might be at a convention somewhere, but people aren't afraid of telling. So you have to grow if you don't have it. You're gonna grow a thick skin and beta readers, it starts really with them. They're out there telling you this is what we like, this is what we don't like, and you want them to because you want to put out the best product possible. So you might be trying out a new skit or a new routine. I'm there putting out a base draft and then they're coming back and saying, I don't like these five things, or you should really write more about these five things. And then you'll know what's resonating with your audience. And in my case, my readership. And so it's for me, I'll be able to focus in on things that people like and maybe peel away stuff that they don't. And I think that makes for a better product. Just curious, how many drafts do you make in house before you let someone else read your book? Uh, A lot. You know, I don't (laughs) count them because it's disheartening, but you know, I think, the, the, the truth of the matter is you, when you put together the first draft, you're so close to it, you really don't know how good or bad it is because right. you've been immersed in it. And when you're immersed in a story that for epic fantasy, my average novels are like 140,000 words. So you're looking at 500 pages. There's a lot of detail in there. And somewhere in there, there's, there's going to be misses. You know, things are in, you know, that I, you forgot to include a character or you forgot that they'd already done something. And, and so the beta readers will point at those things too. And it's not just... You know, they're really looking for content. They're not looking for line by line, you spelled this wrong, or, or sure. you know, you, your comma doesn't belong here. That's copy editing. They're helping more on the development of the story arcs, and they'll come back and say, well, hey, we didn't think about this, but you know, why didn't you have your character do this, or why did they choose this action? And you as an author have to go back and make a decision, and are they right or are they wrong? And, and you, you try to accommodate them, but also sometimes you know why they're doing things and a beta reader will never do it, but you're looking for their reaction as to what are they thinking? And will they continue to read the next one, even though they might bitch about something that happened in the story, yeah. they're still going to continue to read. They're hooked, you know, and that's, that's what you want. You want to see you pulling them through the story and then saying, where's the next one. You know, there's certain uh, juggernauts when it comes to popular culture media that came since I was born. Uh, we're talking about Harley Quinn, Deadpool, Pokemon, yep. Harry Potter. Um, and, and it's interesting how these are now properties that are having generational a, uh, affirmation. 
parents mm -hmm. bring their kids to the movies and there's a Super Mario Land and, a, and Universal. What's that say for you? I mean, it's not just books anymore. We're talking about properties, talking about VR experiences. We're talking about video games now for your series. I mean, what's the next step? How does it feel? Yeah, you know, I, I've been asked the question many times, you know, when does this become a movie or when does Netflix pick this up? And those processes are, are just, you know, so far down the road. I mean, they, they, they want to see, you know, millions of followers. They never, you know, the studios don't do business the way they used to do business. They, they want to take the least amount of risk possible. They're not looking for a script that comes by. They want to know that, you know, this already has legs and it's been resonating. You've been selling a lot. You've got followers on, you know, Twitter and Insta and YouTube and all that kind of stuff too. So I'm building a base to allow me to do that. But I was approached uh, by a video game company and they're creating uh, an augmented reality, virtual reality game out of the realm of Warminster, which should be released in its beta form this summer as a as a minimally viable product, and we're going to do a you know sort of like a test run on it, and then something uh, more conclusive by the end of 2024, you know, featuring book one of the four, first four book series as part of the adventure that you're playing in it. And the idea is, as unlike a, a Madden where you're playing it on your you know your Xbox or your PlayStation. This is something you could play on your computer. You could play it on your phone while you're out at the store, or you can also put on your goggles and play it. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's allowed people. We've we've opened it up to pre-sales where people are coming in and buying property, where they're building their castles already, or their avatars are going to be creating a skill sets for them. And those that are early adopters of the game will have advantages over those that are coming in. Uh, when the game is released and so it's a it allows us to test run things and and see how people like them and i'm not on the tech side i'm more there for the storyboarding you know sure. to make sure it kind of follows along because no matter what we do it's not going to be exactly like the book you know that would be boring and the game will allow you to do whatever you want because you're playing a character in it you're not reading characters about it you're actually playing your own character whoever you want to make them uh mm -hmm. in the in the in, in the game uh, so there's a lot of things that we got to be prepared for there. And so storylines can take different angles. And I'm just there to kind of create the rubric around which they can play, right? So like, you know, here's some castles here, and here's some challenges there, and this is what the monsters look like. This is what the heroes look like. This is what your treasure can look like and, and things like that too. So that, you know, I, I was never asked before, when does your stuff become a video game? And that was the thing that came to my door. So, you know, I jumped at it as a, as an entrepreneur, I was I was excited about it and said let's let's make a run at it. And now I'm I'm just as invested in, in seeing that as successful as I am my novels. Well, is the video game going to be canon? Hot question come through. <laughs> well, I I hope so. <laughs> there's you know like at this point, I mean we've got you know it's just it's just kicking off. So there's there's not much except for canon, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But but for now, it's going to be as close to it I think as as possible and then some of the um some of the characters in it you'll you'll be able to meet that you'll if you read the novels and you understand the basic plot lines you'll be able to follow that along for the game and then in the game you'll you'll run into certain characters good and bad uh that you can meet and they can either help you or not help you depending on what you do so it's gonna be a lot of fun diplomatic answer i'll let us know <laughs> uh, 
so th there's a lot of things in motion for your property, the one with those series and properties. And it's and I know I don't want to pigeonhole any entrepreneur, but if all things being equal, would this would you rather this be like job one or or the full time career then with with the authorship and and managing this property, all the IPs, or are you like having the balance of the different kind of plates in different sectors? Yeah, no, this is this is the back nine for me. I'm like mid career, right? And mm -hmm. if I could transition away from what I was doing professionally and make enough money to support my family and, and be happy with what I'm doing. There's nothing better than writing your own novels and or being involved in this guy. This is because not only was it escapism for me, but now it's become entertainment. And you see other people that are entertained by it. Uh, and that's kind of addictive. And, and I'll give you one example of something in my old business, the one I'm trying to move away from, you know, what I find is, you know, it's very adversarial, like no one's your friend that you, you have, deals that can be made sometimes there's there's transactions but most of the time there's they're adversaries right and that gets that wears on someone this is different like the first time i did a podcast i studied for two days because i expected the host was going to have a gotcha moment uh or they were going to ask someone on that was going to say i didn't like your books because that's what have happened in politics right like i, I was right you know if i was on any of those political shows they're going to come at you and you know and make you you know stand again and here the, the question that came to me was what season of the year did you like writing in the most? You know, and it's like, wait a minute, where's the gotcha moment here? And it wasn't, right. it wasn't there at all. It was like they were here to lift me up and be be supportive. And I don't see other authors as competition. They're more collaborators. They were there to help each other. And some will find greater level of successes in finance. Others will just they count success as having a book done and professionally out there, and people saying that they like it. And it doesn't matter if they. They make any money and it's more of an art form you know for someone like me it's both art and science right i will yeah. love the art piece but i'm also trying to make it a business so that i can step away from what i was doing and retire into and when i say retire i've got a long road in front of me you right. know <laughs> so, but you know I'd, I'd love to be able to retire doing this kind of stuff because it's just so much more fun well I, i'm so glad you brought up lobbying because last april you absconded from a vote about farm subsidies you weren't explaining no, i'm kidding i'm not <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, I just throw out political questions in the back half. Uh, so, I'm, sorry, you know, I'm losing you here. I'm losing you. Here. We're up, up time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know that you're, you're at conventions because I was fortunate enough to, to be on a panel. Uh, this one was about like uh, the relationship between comics and pro wrestling because of my career. Uh, so that was always interesting to see fans in meat space asking mm -hmm. questions and interacting you mentioned that too was there a moment that at these conventions and if you have a preferred circuit you can share that as well when a, a fan did something that made you you know go warm and fuzzy you know oh like kind of like a fan that you were mentioning any kind of moments that you want to share yeah 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 so i, I had a fan one time and i don't know if you're a star wars fan or not i don't uh, but I've if seen you do the movies just two okay yeah so you know if you as a dabbler, you'll at least get this because I'm sure you'll recognize the name. You know, one of the most popular names in Star Wars is Boba Fett, right? He was yeah. the bad guy, bounty hunter, went after Han Solo, one of the more popular characters. And someone came up to me and told me that one of my characters was my Boba Fett. And oh. at that point, I was like, I didn't go, I didn't do make that sound, but I was like weeping inside. You know, like, yeah. oh, I'm so glad you like that. And, and that's the kind of stuff that gets your writing or when you recognize you, you've done something so well that people put that in that category. Now, Boba Fett is classically one of the, the best villains of, of Star Wars. 
you know, and I'm just hoping that, you know, my characters can live up to that after a period of series as part of that. And I think that's the one thing that resonated with me or you get questions because there's some romance uh, that's dabbled uh, and they've kind of, you know, sprinkled it into the, into the novels and people are waiting to find out what happens between Ritter and Adeline or what happens between Damis and Katya and that kind of stuff. And so like they ask you questions like that and you don't want to give too much away, but you also want them to be hopeful so that they buy the next book uh, and continue to follow along. So I think those are the, the moments that really, you know, when, you know, Hey, I, you wrote a villain so well that someone called him Boba Fett. And I love yeah. that. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Uh, I haven't had that pleasure necessarily, but it's kind of interesting for entertainers um, in that in that sense because there's a lot of creators out there. But entertainers, like you have a very transactional thing. Of course, you write a book for people to enjoy it. I tell jokes. I hope you laugh at it. But then when someone pulls you aside and go, "Look, I was having a bad day and I was going to jump off this building, but you didn't make me do that," or "Hey, look, this character reminds me of a character of my childhood," it's always like, "Oh, wow! I guess I am doing the things." The legacy, the mayor, that kind of thing as well. Yeah, pretty cool. So, uh, you had mentioned on a couple of your podcasts that uh, you appeared on, um, or weren't my show. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that you are <laughs> uh, an avid tabletop gamer. I mean, you had I mentioned am. your experience with TNT. So, I was wondering your your opinion about the state of tabletop games today. I don't do it myself, but I have some friends that dabble and it seems there's two camps. Some say, hey, look, we're now in a new golden age. There's so many different like iterations and versions and expansions and it's a whole accessible thing for people to get in the tabletop gaming thing. But there's another side that goes, look, man, D&D, Masquerade, those are classics. Everything else is derivative. It hasn't really been the same ever since. Where do you land on that? Yeah, I'm like right in the middle, right? So I'm a guy that's been playing for 20 years. And, you know, so I've played before there were things like Skype that would allow you to play with friends that were around the country. So you just continue to play with the people that were around you. Now I play on Sunday nights with a group of friends and, you know, we're all in our 40s and, and you know, we're still playing these games. And it's because of the love of the original, right? Like I, I played uh, Masquerade very briefly, but I've played D&D or Robotech or Star Wars or Star Trek. I've played... A variety of what was once TSR games like Star Frontiers and Boot Hill and all these kind of things where they came out because I was a kid and you wanted to try as much as you could. And you're right, a lot of the newer stuff is derivative, and they've changed the game so much, you know, that it's you know it's it's opened itself up. But there are other competitive you know groups that are doing just as well, putting out other products. They may not be as mainstream or well known, but I think that the the moment that kind of resurged this was the downtime that COVID brought with it. A lot of people were stuck at home. And so playing D&D over Skype, you saw a lot of people doing this in podcasting, I would say Critical Role, you know, or or some of the other shows that are like that, that have come on. They Those folks have made a career on being a professional dungeon master or a professional player, or in many instances, they were actors, actresses, and voiceover people that, you know, found a way to, to, to reach a new audience. Yeah. And then people would follow them because they were playing it. So they took it, to the next level and it's okay i mean let's face it i mean it we talked about this earlier i mean we can't all play a tolkien lord of the rings in middle earth forever you know people are going to come up with the next thing and so you you've seen that you know the most recent iteration is of course like wheel of time or game of thrones or you know any of these like the terry brooks stuff with shannara that's happened and you know it, they're, they're all derivative of tolkien so that doesn't make them any less worthy. So I, I'm I'm willing to try something new. We've migrated into the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, and we just play that because it's the way that you know you know everything is going, and you, you try to learn a new system. And there's goods and bads and uglies and things that you kind of 
homebrew. Like we like this from the first series. So we're going to keep that in here. We'll change right. the rules to fit what you like playing. And, you know, sometimes, you know, this, there are folks that go a step further than I'll go. They'll get into costumes and, you know, they're, they're really into it. And we look at it more as sort of like a, a strategy game meets role playing. You get a chance to play a character within the confines of a strategy game, and that might not appeal to those who want to, you know, live action role play or cosplay as part of it. And there, there might be just a little bit more, you know, drama oriented, or they may be a little bit more, you know, um, you know, just the, the, the way that they play the game might be different than the way we play the game. But you know, it's just fun, and that's why I enjoy it so much. And we, I get teased a little bit. Like my wife gets on me sometimes because of. Um, you know, that when we get together, there's, it, I don't have like a poker night with the guys. I've got a D and D night with my nerdy friends, right? Yeah. You know, so it's man stuff. Yeah. 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 But Hey, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. You like what you like. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, it, it, I just mentioned, I'm not really into to tabletop as much. Cause I never found a game that resonated with me. I just, I just, to me, like I, I'll go to a couple date nights when I, uh, my girlfriend and I would go to other couples and I would play because I was there, but like take it to ride or something like that. But to your point during the pandemic, because I'm a baseball guy, I got into Bottom of the Night, which is a mm-hmm. game you can play it by yourself or with someone else. And uh, I, I, I'll let you in on a secret. If you guys listen to New Amsterdam Radio, this is a secret. This is actually on my bucket list. I want to be able to make a game that like I would play. <laughs> That's how I approach everything. I, I didn't like Westerns. My first novel was a neo-Western, all right? So I would love to be able to develop that because I know there's a potential in there, but I just kind of interested to see where you stand on the, hey, look, it's now a new golden era versus, I don't know. <laughs> kind of a- but yeah, there's not too much difference. I mean, it's only a step away from you creating your own character in a Major League Baseball video game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. Now they've got where you can create it, like, characters for like the, NBA where you're you're the high school student that's getting recruited and you have to improve your skills and move up and you know you want to be in the draft order and you want to get endorsed and, just, and you just play those games as if it were you and it's your avatar within those games uh, and that stuff's coming like one day there will be a baseball game where you could step to the plate at Shea State, I see how I said Shea it's Stadium. It's not Shea to me, dang it. Shea Stadium. <laughs> I know, I know where your love is. Don't worry. I'm there. You, you creeped on me. I creeped on you too. I know what's up. You know, but you know, you know, like the the Shea Stadium stuff, and you can play, you know, against Babe Ruth. You know, the hated Yankees from across, the, you know, right. or whatever you want to do. That stuff is is on its way in video gaming, where it's already here. You can do that right now if you created your own baseball RPG game. It's not it's not that far afield. One's just in the theater of the mind while the other is something you're going to create through augmented or video or virtual reality. The man says you can do it. If you put your mind to it, uh, which is the classic mm-hmm. uh, iteration, uh, 2023, uh, by the time this airs, it's still before March. You have a lot of time on that runway. What are some plans for you and your brand, sir? Yeah. So we've got, um, you know, the, the convention circuit that'll start in, in earnest in, in March. So I'm going to, my first convention this year is going to be in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and it's, you know, alongside GalaxyCon, which is a, you know, you know, a, a form of a Comic-Con, if you're familiar with, um, you know, that, that's, that's the biggest brand of, of, of circuit that's out there. And uh, it'll end in October with the New York Comic-Con. So it'll be a busy year, a lot of travel in there with the books. And then my third book comes out in March. My last book in the series, the fourth book, uh, comes out in July or August of this year. So while I'm on the road, we're going to get book three and book four. Uh, oh, which wow. will be a, a lot of fun as as we could c- kind of continue to to move through the circuit. And then the video games, you know, MVP, they're, they're minimally viable product. Their scavenger hunt 
which is going to be for the first 500 people that join, we'll be able to test it and we want you to try to break it, see if mm -hmm. it works, see if it doesn't work, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, and that'll help us develop a better and more entertaining game when it's launched in 2024. So it's going to be, it's going to be a busy year, but I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, this is, this is the fun side of it, man. I, I, I wake up every day. I'm not bored. You know, this is, yeah. this is good stuff as this is a, the right kind of struggle you want to be involved in every day. Just dropping two books here, like DMX back in the day. <laughs> Just dropping two albums. Yo, respect, yeah, bro. Instead, okay, instead of X going to give it to you, is JV going to give it to you, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not listening, right? So, uh, we have uh, these two questions we ask all of our guests on the show. Uh, the toughest questions we ask. Uh, number one, what is your favorite junk food, good sir? Oh, you know, that's horribly, that's not even, uh, that's unfair. I'm going to have to say Doritos, like okay. original Doritos. Because, you know, and part of that is, you know, I have a dog that's his favorite. I have a Labrador retriever and we call them Laboritos because that's his favorite food too. So yeah. like if I have a bag next to me, he's sitting there waiting for one to drop. So my favorite junk food is definitely Doritos. I'm actually, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I'm actually a cool ranch guy. Um, that's not but, bad. I'll take that. But in Europe, there's no ranch. So they call it cool American. <laughs> so I'm a cool American flavored Doritos favorite what? guy. That's that's like it's Royale with cheese, right? <laughs> Royale you know, like, with cheese. Come on, man. Like, I, 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 I didn't, first of all, I didn't know that. And I think that's that's okay. I'll take that. But, you know, you can't go wrong if Deion Sanders is on the front of a Doritos Cool Ranch bag, right? So, exactly. prime time, man. Prime we are time, baby. ourselves. That's what he is. Hey, that's uh, all right. I don't, I don't mind. You know, it's uh, okay. I got one more for you before we get out of here, man. It's 2023. I have some things on my bucket list. I want to know what's on your bucket list, personally or professionally. Yeah, so you know, personally, this year I, after I survived this this convention circuit, I want to take a little downtime and figure out the next move for uh, you know the next series of Warminster. I, I think that um, you know it's it's gotten it, it continues to grow. It's gotten the exposure I was hoping it would get. Um, you know, and by the time I get the three and four, I'm hoping that it's it's really starting to 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 you know get some motion on the private side. I haven't taken a vacation in like three years, and I'd, I'd love, I tried to talk my wife. Maybe Vegas. You know, she has she's been beating me up on it. We've got a, a friends getting married in Seattle this year. We're going to go up to Vancouver and stuff like that. And it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. But I'm trying to not pretend that that's going to be fun and focus on right. Vegas, which is where yeah. I went. Oh, I can't go. I got to go to Vegas for business. Let's let's make it a we'll make it a business and pleasure trip. So I'm hoping I can sneak in a little Vegas because it's been a few years. There's enough conventions that you can find one that works. <laughs> Just I'm certain I can. It so happens that there is one in Vegas in November. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out and write that off. <laughs> there's also the F1 race, too. So uh, hey, I've been there too many one. times. You don't yeah. know that. Big Ayrton Senna fan. And unfortunately, you know, yeah. that, that, that he died a couple of He was like, cut in half in an accident like 10 years right, ago. But he was, right. you know, well, and ever since that. then, I've sort of been off of F1. But. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, so you don't have a support team now. You don't support. No, I mean Schumacher was the easy one because he was he would just win the minute he got into a, a race right. car he would just win. So, but you know, and I've and I have no uh, no uh, NASCAR is fine too. I know that there's some that like look at that as the division between church and state. I used to be a huge Tony Stewart fan and Kevin Harvick fan, but you know, I just you know my I'm I am football and hockey and yeah. everything else is secondary. So obviously, being a, a Steeler fan, being from Pittsburgh, that's that's like you're born and they they swaddle you in a terrible towel here, and I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. The first diaper that you're in is in a terrible towel, and they hand you to your parents, um, you know, that way. And 
that's a true story. And then penguins, yeah. I, you know, you know, we're we're on the downslide of a dynasty, and it's hard to watch. But I'm hoping they got one more in them. So we'll see. Fingers Sorry crossed. For, I like the. I actually was a fan of the Robo Penguin. I know people don't like the Robo Penguin, but I was a fan uh, of that. Uh, you know, I, I'm also the fan of the uh, fishermen in my Isles, so I get that too. I'm, I'm a little yeah. funky like that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's all right. I mean, the Isles, like, they've had some really, like, I, I like their colors. I like some of the stuff they've done with the uniforms over the years. They, yeah. too, when I was growing up, were dominating, right? You know, so for me, you know, I was, I would watch them and they would come into town. They were like the Flyers. And when the Penguins stunk, they'd come into town and spend, you know, the first two periods going up 4-1 and then the third period just beating up our poor Penguins. And then the roles reversed for a while and the Islanders slid way, way, way down and the Penguins yeah. have been on the top ever since. But, um, you know, I, I Robo, the Robo Penguin, the the, the pigeon-looking one, I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I'm a traditionalist. I like the, you know, the yeah. Golden Triangle logo with the with the, the hardcore pen. But, you know. You know, it's it, it, you know, and and it's the Islanders guys. I like your classic logo with the uh, with the Long Island on. I think that looks pretty cool with the the Y as the hockey stick. I mean, it's hard hard to get away from some of those classics for at least for me. Well, well, two things. Much like Pittsburgh, a lot of a lot of New York teams have blue and orange because our city flag, right? So like the, the Knicks, yep. the Mets, the, the Islanders. So I always respect that as well. And two, uh, just because we're getting into the topic of it, the reason why I became a hockey fan was through Pogs. So dating myself, my my Islanders slammer go. was undefeated, and I became there an Islanders fan. Man, that's, I haven't heard that in ten years. of Pogs. My, Pog, oh my, my slammer. God. Oh man. <laughs> So You're dumb. taking me back, man. Now you you are showing your age on that one. I, I know. Right? And, uh, try to explain to a kid nowadays. They're they're a piece of cardboard, and you just hit yeah. them, and they'll blip over. You're like, uh, no, anyway. no, no. They're more than that. Like marbles back in the day, or whatever. Marble jacks. Uh, to more important things, though. Uh, if anyone wanted to contact you, sorry, they want to like hit you up with questions, or even purchase your book, how to go about doing that. Really super simple. You can go to jvhilliard.com if you want to visit my website or dragonmoonpress.com, which is my publisher. You can buy my stuff there or, you know, my audiobook and my ebooks and my paperbacks are all available pretty ubiquitously. You can find them at places like Amazon or Apple Books or Barnes and Noble or Kobo Rackets. They're just, they're available all over the place. Just Google the name JV Hilliard or Warminster or Last Keeper and it'll take you there. And then for my socials, yeah, at JV Hilliard Books, you'll find me on Twitter, Insta, and TikTok there, or just JV Hilliard will take you to my Facebook and Discord. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K N E W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. <laughs>